Hey everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online. Today we're continuing with part three of our series, How to Win as Parents and with Your Parents. And today we're going to be talking about the years of your child's life between about the ages of five and 18, what we called last week in part two, the training and coaching years. And specifically one single thing that will make a significant difference in the life and future of your child as well as the relationship you have with them. So stick around to learn more. Today, uh, we are in part three of our series, um, How to Win as Parents and with Your Parents. And last week, if you were here, and if you're not here, that is totally okay. We'll try to catch you up as best as we can. Um, I introduced uh, this graphic, um, and I don't know, like I said last week, if it's necessarily scientific, but I think most of you, at least experientially, will say this is fairly true to form, uh, give or take, um, that there are parenting phases. And the reason that there's parenting phases is because you cannot treat your two-year-old like you treat your 14-year-old. Otherwise, you will have a very rebellious teen on your hand. But we change our parenting styles as we kind of continue down this, um, this linear line of growth. Two to five, we call that discipline years, then the training, coaching. And then sometime after 18, we begin to transition into those friendship years, or as we said last week, kind of the golden years of parenting. Now, last week, we talked a lot about this stage right here, this discipline stage. And it's not just limited to this two to five range. We said it kind of goes in, but it, uh, to the rest of the years, it just looks a little different in those years. Um, but we said last week, if you remember, that we have the opportunity to not look at discipline as a burden that we carry, like, oh my gosh, they did it again. I got discipline literally every day. Feels like all I do is discipline. But that we could look at discipline as an opportunity to invest in the future generation, to invest in our kids, to teach them, help them work through values and issues that they have come up in life. And more importantly, discipline could be tied directly to this idea of restoring the relationship and bringing love back into the relationship. Because so often, when you feel like you require some level of discipline, some degree of a relationship has been broken or compromised. And so if we took a page out of um, uh, some uh, uh, examples that I gave you last week of parenting or poor parenting, we could realize that, hey, we have an opportunity here to say, listen, especially dads, like maybe you have a teenager, okay, or something like that, and your teenager, um, your son, for example, does not honor their mother, okay? And dads, you have an opportunity in that moment to stop, think, and work through a punishment or a consequence, I think is maybe a better word, for your son to go through to reconcile their relationship with their mother, to restore the relationship. Like you could require your uh, teenager to take their mom out on a date and have a nice date night and pay for it all and all that stuff and apologize and explain what was going through their mind and, and reconcile that relationship. Or mom, as you're sitting there and you're trying to uh, manage siblings getting into fights and hurting each other's feelings and all that, you have the opportunity to stop and think, right? You don't have to put that consequence out right off the bat. You could just stop, think, think, take 24 hours, 48 hours, because let's be honest, that's how life works. It's not like you mess up at work and just instantly your boss hands down a punishment, right? It takes time. That's how life works. And so reflecting life experience a little bit better in our discipline, and then saying this is how you're going to restore the relationship with your sibling to which you're kids will say, I don't want to, 
right? Because no sibling wants to repair the relationship with their sibling because they hate their sibling. But the reality is, in the long term, they will be so grateful that you made them do that because they will enter into adulthood having a really good sense of how to restore broken relationships than I think we tend to do today, which is to avoid them. Because the punishment that you and I grew up with um, were, was um, something along the lines of, I'm going to take this away or I'm going to restrict this from you. But that's not really how life works. Because if you break a relationship, the only way to get it back is not to go to time out. It's to restore it. And so that's what we talked about last year. And then I just was thinking about it. And we were having some conversations this week with some po- folks. And I realized that what I also should have included last week is the role of parents in modeling this. And that's obviously something that we'd all sit there and say, yeah, yeah, parents should really model this. But that means, parents, when you get done with that kids event or whatever that is, you cannot get in the car and then badmouth somebody else because somebody else hurts you. You have to model for your kids, or if, you, if you're married or together, you have to model for your kids restoring the relationship because they are watching you. So if you missed any of that, you can go on our app and, and watch it or go on our website and catch back up with last week's, but that, that's a brief recap. Now today, we're going to move from the discipline stage and we're going to cover 6 to 18, these training and coaching years. And if you remember last week, I did intro this by saying it's kind of like sports. Really, it is. In the sense that in the training years, the 6 to 11, and these are not hard cutoffs. It's not like you get to the 6th birthday, right, and you say, happy birthday, you're in the training years, let's get going, Okay. There's some, you know, some, it's gray area, okay, but the training years where you kind of take on the role of a coach in a way, but you're not there yet because you're on the field, you're in the practices, and you're working with them one-on-one, you're right there with them as they work through things, you show them how to do it, and you protect them if they do something wrong and, and help them through that, kind of like training wheels on a bike, you know, they're still riding the bike, but you're helping so that they don't get into deep trouble in that process of learning how to ride a bike. And then you move on to the coaching years. In the coaching years, you step off of the field, and now you're on the sidelines so that you let life and the consequences of life kind of take their toll, and they get dinged up a little bit. But it's not like you're not there. It's not like you're not watching. It's not like you can't call a timeout, pull them to the side, and have a little pep talk, right? It just means that your role looks a little different now because you parent differently. Now, even though I'm going to tackle this today, it may be a shock to you that we don't have time to cover all the years and everything you should do between 6 to 18. Okay, number one, I don't even have the time to research that much. So today, I am going to focus on one critical truth. One critical truth. And I'll just be honest with you because I'm just being honest with myself as well. I did not like this truth. This truth makes me uncomfortable, and I'm only 16 months into this thing of parenting, okay? So I'm not telling you something that I've perfectly lived out. I'm just telling you something that I have watched in your lives as I've pastored and helped people, the things that I have read about and what the research is saying and how critical this one thing is. In fact, my friends, and if if you're tuning out, just tune back in for just a second, and then, I, then I'll pick you back up a little later in the message. You can take a nap. But this is the first thing, okay? If we get this one thing wrong, the cost is way, way, way too high. For us, for those of us who take on that parenting role, whatever that looks like, and for our kids and the future generations, And I don't think I say that in any dramatic way. I just think that's simply the truth. 
And before I get there, though, I need to lay the groundwork, because really this thing, this critical idea, begins with understanding where we are today in this relationship between parent and child. And I'm just going to generically say that as the family relationship. And family relationships today are changing dramatically. Now, this is probably not a shock to you, okay? At the very least, you kind of feel that. You feel like something's different. The parenting looked a lot different than it did even, you know, 10, 30, 40 years ago, depending on where you are in your life. You, you just feel that it's different. And, and you know that there's obvious differences. For one, like we connect differently, right? The internet has changed so much of what we do. Information availability has changed so much of how we interact and and how we set boundaries and and what uh, temptations and challenges come into our kids in our lives. That looks different for sure. But I think that feeling that we have that things are changing, when we take kind of the facts and we put them before us, we realize, wow, Things aren't just changing. They're changing dramatically. And if we're not aware of that and we don't realize the consequences of that, we are going to set ourselves up and I think a little bit of our kids to fail. Now, back in the day, and specifically like thousands of years ago day, um, and you can read all about this. There's a book out there. It's called Sapiens. Um, This, by the way, is not a Christian read, so if you read through this, you're going to find yourself like, huh, because he's not exceptionally friendly to Christianity and faith in general, but it is a very mind-bending account of human history based on uh, anthropological evidence over thousands and thousands of years, okay? And anyways, it was just really interesting, so I thought I'd share. Um, You know, if you think of humanity way back in the day when we were in like hunter gatherer mode, okay? We didn't have herds. We didn't have farms or any of that stuff, okay? Back in those days, this is really interesting, I think. When would you think the workday would end? When you had to hunt and gather your own food to survive, when do you think you'd wrap up your workday? Yeah, sundown. Yeah, that's what I thought too. It'd be like sundown. Not true. Evidence shows that families would pretty much wrap up all their daily work by about one in the afternoon. One in the afternoon. Because they didn't have to go out and cultivate their fields. They didn't have to go weed their fields. They didn't have to worry about all the things that now we have to worry about just to make all the things that we worry about happen. They'd get done about one o'clock. Fast forward to about the 1800s or just about in the last 200 years. Families have undergone a significant change especially in the Western world. Because families, think about this, your family 200 years ago used to be a whole lot more than it is now. Your family 200 years ago used to be your social security because there wasn't any. So if you got hurt, you couldn't work, your family would take care of you. They used to be your health care. If you got sick, they'd take care of you. Their retirement system, they were your future. Your kids were literally your future. Some of your parents said, freak you out a little bit. Like, your retirement depends on your kids. Holy cow, okay? They were your general contractor. They were your construction company. If you wanted to build a house or add on to their house because you all lived under one roof, they helped you. If you wanted to get the latest news, you wouldn't call someone up on the phone or dial up the internet, okay? They were your internet, okay? There was the real Facebook before the Facebook, okay? You, you tracking with me here, okay? They were your bank, They saved your money. They protected your money. They were your union when you wanted to argue with someone about fairness. They were the police. 
right? A family's wronged another family. I don't know if you ever watch any Shakespeare. It's all about like family conflict because your family was all of those things and now it's not. The free market is that. Government is that. And there's all sorts of implications, a whole other presentation on just socioeconomics just in there alone. But family, bottom line is this, family is not essential to your survival anymore. You don't have to have a relationship to survive and be successful like you did 200-odd years ago. Now, you'd hope, you'd hope, right, that because we don't have to worry less about all those things anymore and survival and all that stuff, that we would just take all that extra free time and just spend quality time together, little shoots and ladders, little movie night, just talk it out together, right? That's what we do with all this free time we now have, right? No. And here's where it starts to get really relevant, and maybe for some of us a little uncomfortable, because we have gotten to a place where we have lost 10 to 20 hours of family time a week in just the last 40 years alone, or about three hours a day. 40 years ago, you used to spend three more hours about a day with your family than you do now. Why? You already know this a little bit, don't you? Because we're filling it up. We're filling it up with stuff and things and events and exercises and all this stuff. And we have less time together, which means less relational investment. And then I, in, this, in this book, Strong Daughters, Strong Fathers, which honestly everybody should read. I'm just reading it because um, I have a daughter. Uh, but in here, she, she shows about this research that's been done, how kids are beginning. This is just frightening to me. Kids are beginning to struggle with humility with compassion and kindness and love like never before because by ages three, four, five, six, and seven, our kids and their schedules and their things prioritize and, and demand the schedule of our families. And they may not consciously realize this, but subconsciously what kids are beginning to realize is I am the center I am the center, not my parent, not my relationship with my parent. My family is centered around me at such a young age. And the implications are undeniable. I'm not just making this up. This is just what the research shows. And our values change because of it. Now I understand, listen, I understand that you're sitting there and probably thinking to yourself, well, my kids enjoy it. And listen, I get it. But I just think we should be a little bit more aware of the fact that our kids, our kids are learning more from the schedule we're setting for them rather than the relationship we're having with them. They're learning more from the schedule we're setting. You're like, well, Taylor, I don't set their schedule. Their coach sets their schedule. But come on, come on. Whose responsibility is it until at least 18? setting for them rather than the relationship we're having with them. We are raising a generation where relationship is not the pinnacle like it has been for literally all of human history, at least for the last, uh, or up until the last 200 years. 
And you know this. And, and as I was thinking of this, this story, I was mowing uh, this week, and, and I was thinking about this and the implication of this. Um, and, and back when I was in high school as a junior, uh, we had a thing. I don't know if this was, a, it's a small thing, that, uh, organization, but I was involved in National Council on Youth Leadership. Maybe this was in your area. I think it's more a Midwest thing than anything. But it was essentially, the core of it was the speaking and then this interview process. And you went through a number of interviews, and, and really it was to help develop these really important skills for your life. And so we go through numbers of interviews, and, and one of the questions in, on the prep sheet, and one of the questions they asked me time and time again in these interviews as I went through this was, who is your hero? Who is your hero? And I'll be honest with you. I was, I was truthful in my answer, but I also thought I was pretty clever. Because I said, my mom and dad. That's what I said. And I thought I was clever because I didn't think any of my peers would have said the same thing. They would have said, you know, this guy and popular her and popular them. And I don't even know who those people were because I wasn't in the cool group. And, and, but I thought, oh, I'm just going to say my parents and they're just going to like melt inside. They're going to be like, oh, he's such a wonderful candidate and all this stuff. That's what I thought. Then I got invited back when I was in college to interview and to be on the board. And so I went through about 35 of these interviews. And the same question was asked. And even though I thought that I was so unique, I, I'm not kidding. In this, at least 9 out of 10 of the kids that I interviewed, all of them, to the question of who is your hero, it was their parents or their guardian. It was their parents or their guardians, not their teammates, not their coaches, not that friendly person who was always encouraging them and cheering them on on the side. It was their parents. Who ultimately sets the schedule? Parents. Who is ultimately the hero for our kids? Parents. There's a disconnect. And this is so important. When it comes to this phase between training and coaching, that, that phase, if you go to the next slide, of the, of the, yeah, right here. This stage, this is where this matters the most. And we have to acknowledge that we are clearly, clearly raising experience-rich, yet relationally poor kids. Experience-rich, yet relationally poor kids. And I'm not ragging on Experience Rich, please. My dad is watching this series. At least he told me this week that he was watching this series. I'm not lying to you, okay? I, well, I was raised in an Experience Rich household. And I tell you, I can draw a complete line between my desire to learn, grow, to improve, to be better every single day to the experiences I had and the exposures that I had over my childhood. However, I am saying that this matters more than that. And if you're still not convinced, then I want to give you this one critical thing, reality, check, for those of us who have ever had influence into a child's life, ever had influence into a child's life. Here it is. When it matters most, the quality of your relationship with your kids will determine the weight of your influence. When you want to have influence in your kids' future, through 6 through 18 and beyond, if you want to address a safety issue, a growth issue, a future decision issue with them, influence is everything. 
And there will come a time in your kids' life where you will, because you love them, because you care for them, because you have invested so much as their parent or guardian or influencer, you will want to pull into that bucket of influence and put it out there and convince them that your perspective is right. But I'm worried without relationship or quality of a relationship, you won't have any of this when your kids need it the most. And you can say to me, yeah, but Taylor, I know, because I've lived life, I know when that time comes, I'll tell them what's right, and they're going to sit there and like, yeah, you're right, that's, that's the truth. Uh-uh. Come on. Did it work with your parents? Did you sit there and oh, you're right, Mom. You're right, Dad. You are wiser than I am. Thank you so much for saving me hours and hours of pain and suffering. No. The thing that matters to your kids is the quality of the relationship because it carries influence. I mean, come on. If you're in the room or, or you're watching online, okay, if you have ever been a kid, I doubt, I doubt. You can tell me afterwards if you did. I doubt you have ever said to your parents, well, you know what, mom and dad? Because you drove me to all those soccer games, because you made me get involved in this thing, because you, you, you had me doing this and that and all that, and you just made that all possible. Thank you for feeding me and all that stuff. You know, you're right. I will not marry him anymore. I'm going to break <laughs> off the engagement. I will not marry her. You're right, Dad. It was a bad decision. Thank you so much for coming in and saving the day. No. Not going to happen. Because here's what we miss. We are in the, the, you know, our kids come into our lives, okay, and we forget that we have in those few years, those first few years, we have a size and control advantage, okay? You can move them where you want them. You can strap them in how you want them. You can swaddle them when you want to go to get them to go to bed. You can pacify them, okay? That is not relationship. That is size and control. Now, granted, the first few years of their life does depend on this, but if you do not make that transition well, if you do not make that transition well, there will not be a relationship. And I think, let's be honest, we are all smart enough to know that when it gets to those training years and it gets to those coaching years, you cannot go into that and swaddle your 14-year-old. Okay? You can try, but fair warning, depending on how big they are, they may swaddle you. Okay? But what do we do? We're tempted to overcompensate. We don't want them to do something. We pull into the influence bucket. We don't have influence, so we try to pull out size and control. They, and what do we say? We say, well, you want the car? You better do this. You want some money for the weekend? Well, could you do this? You want to stay out late? Well, there's going to be a negotiation. Negotiation is not necessarily indicative of relationship. Negotiation is something we do in business. Supply, de demand, economics, money. Not so much in parenting. And what size and control will do is it, if you keep that going through training and coaching and friendship years, it will introduce bitterness and it will build an emotional barrier between you and your kids. And when it matters the most... When it matters the most, the quality of your relationship, the quality of your relationship with your kids will be determined by the weight of your influence. When they don't need your car anymore, or your money anymore, or they think even though they really do, they don't, you can kiss influence goodbye. 
You can bribe them as an adult. You can say, well, I got this really nice gift for the grandkids. You can guilt them. You can say, well, we just never get to see you anymore. And we really love you and we miss you and don't know where you've been. But you know this. Come on, because you were all kids one day. You're not thinking, gosh, I really want to spend time with my mom and dad. What are you thinking in that moment when you're feeling guilted and bribed and all that stuff? You're thinking, how can I gracefully and respectfully manage my parents? That's not relationship. It's not relationship. And I'll be really honest with you. And this just hit me um, as I was processing through last night. I can't tell you and some of you know this because of the conversations we've had over coffee as we've, we've hung out, you know, and spent time together, you and I, okay? I can't tell you the number of times, and I don't mean this to be painful, I just mean this to be true. The number of times I have sat across the table from you, and I have told you truth, and you knew it was truth, I knew it was truth, it was good stuff, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I knew in the back of my head I could tell you that your heavenly Father loves you as much as he does. But if your dad or your mom were sitting in my seat and they said it, it would carry weight that even someone who is called for the rest of their life to serve and love God's people, I can't even bring that weight, that influence, like a mother, father, or guardian can. And how I wish that those parents would have been in my seat instead of me. And that can be the future for you. If we understand the importance of that relationship literally above all things. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesians or Ephesus. Uh, we call it the book of Ephesians. And it's a small community just like us. And he has this one verse, and I think it's just kind of a funny verse. He's talking about honoring your parents and, your, and all that stuff from the Old Testament, the command, because we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor and love all those people. That, that's how we're supposed to show Jesus' love. So he's talking about that. And then he gets to this line. And he says, fathers. And because of father's role in the day, I think that's why he said fathers. But I think in today's context, we could very much say fathers and mothers. It would be just as appropriate. He says something that, honestly, 2,000 years ago was relevant as it is today. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And I'm not talking about the goofy, embarrassing things that dads do. Okay, I understand. There's a funny dynamic to that, okay? This is a really broad exasperation. And, and maybe Paul had what we're talking today in mind when he said it. I think in some ways he did. He means this in a very broad sense. Don't exasperate him. Okay. But what he's trying to get at is, mom, dad, parents, if you exasperate your kids, if you fail to have an authentic, meaningful, quality, fun relationship, chances are what you're replacing that with is a small or great degree of exasperation in your children. Exasperation in your children. I have never, I've never, sat down with someone, and they've said, you know what, Taylor? I just loved it when my parents exasperated me. Just loved it. It's the best. It was a highlight of my life. No, the times that mean the most 
are when parents are the heroes in their kids' lives. When the guardians, when the influence, when the teachers, when the social workers, when the nurses, when the medical doctors step up, have courage, and be the hero to kids. Not because they guilted them into something, but because they loved them and they cared for them. Because when it matters most, the quality of your relationship will determine the influence, the influence you have in your kids' life. I'm not here to make you feel bad. Okay, trust me, because again, this is the thing that freaks me out the most, is how is this going to look into my future? I'm just bringing to the atten- your attention and my attention something that, listen, we know. This is true and convicting, but you know that this is important. Not here to make you feel bad, just to bring this to your attention. Now, as I thought about why this isn't just like a thing that we, we know but we don't practice, and why is there a disconnect between, listen, not, nobody probably here, I'm guessing, is disagreeing with this at this point in the message. I think the disconnect, the disconnect comes because, honestly, we don't know how to have healthy relationships anymore. It used to be you just have to figure it out and grit your teeth because family equaled survival. And now that it doesn't, we can leave and separate and still survive. And it's tempting for us to say that, oh, we'll walk out these doors and we'll just figure it out. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we can just leave it as influence matters. And it is determined by the quality of your relationship. And this is not a Christian thing. This is just a thing thing. This is not a Christian thing. It's a thing thing. And so what I'm going to do for the next five or less minutes is I'm going to have a rapid fire round of some just basic, five basic things that you can do to begin a healthy relationship. Yeah, we'll, we'll just get started, okay? Because for the sake of time. All right, here we go. Okay, this is really oddly specific, but I, 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 hear me out. Write down your priorities and, and put them on your bathroom mirror. You're like, really, Taylor? Bathroom mirror? Like, that is really specific. Like, you just pick that out? No. Think about this. If you write down your priorities, you say, you know what? Our priorities as a family, if, you, if you're married, and you sit down together, figure this out. We talked about it in this a message um, four, um, the four, four part four series called four. Literally, it's called four. We talked about priorities. And if you say, well, my priorities in my family's life is God, family, church, you know, work, activity, blah, blah, blah. Whatever that looks like for you. You take it, you write it down, and then you put it on your bathroom mirror so that every day you wake up, before you even connect with your child, you have reminded yourself of what is the priorities. And this is not going to fix things tomorrow, but will begin to fix things over time. Because, number two, small deposits over time make a big impact relationally. You are playing, depending on where you are in the parenting cycle, you are playing a long-term game. A long-term adventure. Maybe it's a better way to say it. And small deposits over time make a big difference. And you know this. If you're married or in a, in a significant relationship with someone, you know that if you could have a choice between one big vacation a year and taking time together where you just feel so loved for one week from your spouse versus a little something for 365 days of the year, you would take the little something every day. 
You'd take that 20 minutes a day that they give you of undivided attention and care and compassion. That's the difference. Then number three is uh, the rest of that verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I don't just mean this to be like the stereotypical pastor, okay? But one, you need to be here for the last week of the series, so we're going to talk about this more. But listen, even if you're not the greatest follower of Jesus that has ever lived, okay, and we're not, all right, but just in case, and even if you're not like super Christian, okay, or you're not even sure about it, explore it. Explore it. Remember, we're a church for people to explore faith. Explore it with your kids. They will love to go on that exploration with you. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be perfect at it. But if you do it together, meaningfully, quality, put the phone away, quality, big difference. You're teaching your kids to follow someone who said the greatest commandment is to love one another as I have loved you. I just struggle to see where that's going to go terribly wrong. And if you need some practical help, we have a Parent Q app that you can download. You can be here for our family experience. We're having them because we want to bring parents and kids together. Get in a community group because we want you to model. We're going to change. I'm telling you, we're going to completely redo our community groups in the fall. Get involved in a community group. Go online to Amazon right now. I know I said don't pick Amazon, blah, blah, blah. But you can do it today. Go on Amazon. Get the children's Bible if your kid is small. Get the comic Bible if your kids or you got a teen or something. It's a really cool version of the Bible. Bible. Get an NLT life application Bible from Amazon. I can tell you these things afterwards, okay? Go through it with your kid in the appropriate phase that they are in in their life, and you will not regret it. You will not regret it. Number four, massive doses of acceptance and quality time. I'm not saying you accept everything. This is not what I'm talking about, okay? This is not like, oh, now we're just forgetting discipline. No, no, no. I'm saying that your child is going to go through some struggling times, okay? Middle school is hard. Puberty sucks, okay? And, and they are going to need someone in their life that says, you are not crazy, and to be their rock, to be their hero, and to say, you know what? No matter what is happening on your face, okay, and acne, and what's happening with the boys and the girls and all that stuff. I accept you, and I love you. Massive doses of this and quality time. Quality time. One-on-one before bed, date nights with your kids, talking, listening, asking questions, simple questions. Just, like, make it a routine. Hey, when were you happy today? How and what questions are great? How is, how's your heart how can I help you? How can I support you? And then really do it. Be incredible. Even if every day they say, nothing, dad. Promise you, 20 years later, they will sit there and you will have a heart-to-heart conversation and they will say how deeply they appreciated that every day you called them up, you sat at their bedside and said, how can I help? Number five, relationships can be redeemed. And I just want to blanket the statement because for some of you, you're sitting there and like, my influence was gone 20 years ago and this is making me feel really bad. And again, I don't want to make you feel bad. I just want to let you know that relationships can be redeemed. And it's going to take all the things I just mentioned, quality time, small investments, and you can redeem that relationship. You can make up for lost time. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to work out equally. 
but you can redeem it if you're persistent, if you say, I'm going to be the hero, even though it may take years of them pushing back at me, pushing back at me, pushing back at me. I'm just going to love them, serve them, care for them, and you won't regret it. Let's be honest. When it matters the most, if when it matters the most, the quality of your relationship with your kids will determine the weight of your influence. My friends, what if I could promise you that in 20 years, if you have kids, that you will have a seat at the influence table in their life? You may be 70, 80 years old, and you can look at your 50 or 60-year-old kids, and you will still have influence. Is there much more important things than that? To be able, in the moments when they need you the most, you can bring influence to the table. And if you're not a parent, let's put this in real generic sense, how much would you like to be in the seat of influence in the lives of the people you care about most? Pretty easy answer. That way, parents, we don't have to sit there and say, well, I hope they come home. I'm tempted to use guilt. You don't have to because they'll want to come home. They'll want to get in the car and be there for holidays. They'll want to invite you to spend time with your grandchildren. They'll want to have a relationship. And you will look back at the end of your life and be very grateful that you took this and you applied it. And above all experiences that you can give your kids, you would give them a fantastic relationship with their parents. Let me pray for you. We'll sing a song and get you out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is uh, definitely one of those things <laughs> that is so easy, but this is a long-haul challenge, a long-haul adventure. And so, Lord, my prayer for each and every one of us, any of us in this room, which is probably just about all of us, who have some degree of influence in other people's lives, in children's lives, that we would look at them and recognize the significance of the relationship we have and how that carries so much influence in their lives. And that, Lord, we would take time to talk to you, maybe talk to you with them, and ask you for guidance in some of the most challenging situations that we'll have. But that we'll always go into them recognizing the importance of the relationship above all else. And, and you would give us the people. If we would walk out and we'd join a community group, you'd give us the people in our lives to go through these hard, challenging times of being a parent well. And you would give us the resources, the courage, the strength, whatever we would need to actually live it out for the sake of our kids, for the sake of the next generation. Lord, we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.